Today we're picking up on our current chapter here at Ramp Church. Very warm welcome to you, Ramp family. So good to be joining you today. If you're new to our community, so glad you're with us and perhaps you're exploring faith. Uh, I just couldn't think of a better place for you to be um, than joining us today. But this is a big Sunday besides the fact that we're picking up on our chapter here at Ramp Church, which I'll introduce in a minute. And that's because today, signups open for our Ramp communities. And they're open now. And all you have to do is go to ramp.church mcr. And you can find all the details there for our next season of communities. Now, we really focus on five things here at Ramp Church. We have gatherings, we have communities, we have prayer, we have giving, and we have serving. And communities are all about what, what the name says, and that is where we do life together. So it's the midweek uh, space where all of us um, choose to figure out how to work out what we're learning on our, on our weekend gatherings and our conferences. What are these teachings that, that we're hearing and how do I apply it to my life? And then how do I get in relationships that help me grow um, in my own walk with God, in my own maturity, my own development? And we believe genuine real life change happens in the context of genuine real relationships. And that's what communities are all about. So we're just two weeks away from our next season of Ramp Communities. And this next season is only seven weeks long, which is a really neat opportunity for those of you who have never been involved in a Ramp Community to, to find some space to plug in because anybody can try something out for seven weeks, right? But I can, I can assure you this, like so many people before you, if you've never tried a Ramp Community, I think it's going to be one, maybe the most vibrant and life-giving aspect of being a part of Ramp Church. I can say without a doubt over the past 12 months when I look back on lockdown and pandemic and the, the struggles and the trials, the challenges that all of us have faced, uh, it has been the lifeline. It's been the most life-giving, vibrant aspect of Ramp Church is when people have committed to walk with each other through community. and. Oh, we, we love at Ramp Church to take the beginning um, week or two before any new community season launches and talk about the power and the potential um, and even some of the hindrances to finding genuine community. So that's what we're talking about today. But it's in the middle of a chapter here at Ramp Church, a series of teachings, a collection of teachings and that we're walking through. And this is what it's called. It's called Even Here, Even Now, Even Us. And what we're exploring in this chapter is... Um, that we're, we're not waiting on a someday um, to, to think that God can use us or that I can grow in relationships, that I can discover purpose, that I can use my gifts, um, or that, that maybe I can make a fresh connection with someone else in life. But we're believing that God can do what He wants to do even here, even now, even us. And this is the principle. We introduced it all last week. So if, if you missed last, week, last week's message, I want to just encourage you, go subscribe on our podcast, YouTube channel, Facebook, um, turn on those notifications so you get notified when a new teaching comes out. But go back and revisit last week because in many ways, it's the inspirational framework uh, that's that's going to set the tone, set the pace for this entire chapter. And this was the main principle from last week. It's this, this next slide. The cure for your if-only narrative is an even here, even now, even us vision. And I believe that oftentimes our greatest limitations um, are come from an if, what I call an if-only narrative. And the biggest one that all of us are facing right now is if only 
lockdown ended. If only I, I could go back to my workplace or my kids weren't at home and I was homeschooling them. But we have if only narratives in many aspects of our life. Maybe for some of you it's if only I was married, if I wasn't single anymore, if only I could get out of uni, if only I didn't lose my job, if only I wasn't going through financial struggles, then I would be doing such and such or this and that. And what we see when we look at the biblical story is we see, we see God breaking in the middle of if-only narratives with an even here, even now, even us vision. And it fills our hearts and our imaginations with the hope that, uh, that actually God can use. He wants to use where you are. He wants to take you through it so that it can develop and process you. He wants to use this season to prepare you for the next season, but He also wants to impact those in your world in this season. Um, with, with an even here, even now, even us vision. So today, to prepare all of us for this, this new season of Ramp Communities, and for some of you, maybe this is your first time hearing a message like this, uh, perhaps it's going to open your eyes, open your mind to a whole new way to see relationships and community. The title of this message is, We Need Us. We need us. We need us. There is an us here at Ramp Church, and we don't have to be a, a, a collection, a group of individuals only, but there can be an us aspect to who we are. Now, do, do you know that, the, that well, at the beginning of the Bible, um, that there was a, it started with a problem, and most people actually think the first problem in the Bible was sin. But you know, sin didn't actually come along until Genesis chapter 3. It wasn't the first problem. The first problem in the Bible wasn't actually sin. It was isolation. Isolation was the first problem. And this is, this is the verse that shows us. Um, Genesis 2.18, The Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. So we're, we're only in the second chapter of Genesis. And yes, sin is a massive issue. Sin is anything in our lives that's causing distance between us and God. It's a Bible word that doesn't just mean doing bad things, um, but anything in our lives that, that causes distance, separation between us and God. But it can also, sin can happen between two people. So anything in our lives that causes separation between us and others. But what we also see happen to sin in Genesis chapter 3 is anything that causes distance between us and our purpose, anything that we were put on this planet to do. And today we're going to take that even here, even now, even us vision. We're going to focus on that even us aspect and how I believe God can do something in this season with even us, even in this season, even us. The first problem that God tried to solve that he had to solve was he looked at all of creation. He went, it's not good. This is the first problem. And this is one of the things that tells me is you can have everything else you need in life. I mean, when we look at the situation in Genesis chapter 2, God was speaking about Adam, the, the, the first man. And uh, Adam had perfect union, perfect relationship with God. He had a purpose. He had every need was met. Uh, there, he didn't want for anything. Um, when he labored, there was fruit from it. So he felt the sense of purpose, of calling. He felt a connection to his creator, to his maker. All of these are extremely important things and, 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 and valid pursuits in our life. But God looked into this situation where Adam had everything and he still said, nah, he doesn't quite have everything. There's a need 
that he has. Remember, we're talking about we need us. There's a need that Adam has that all these other things can't meet. And maybe you're in that situation today where you may look at, at a lot of things and go, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good in this and this and this and this situation. But there, perhaps there's still a need for an us. And, and that's the first problem God solved is the problem of isolation. And we don't just see it in Adam. We actually see it later on. And Ecclesiastes talks about it. Now, King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, who at, that po- at this point when he wrote this, he was one of easily the wealthiest people alive. And other rulers, other leaders from around the world came to actually hear from his wisdom. He wrote books of, of wisdom and poetry. Ecclesiastes is one of his wisdom books, one of his literature books. Look what he says about it. This is, this is crazy. So here's a guy that has everything. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. So Solomon's speaking into somebody that they didn't have anybody else in their life. They were all alone and there was ceaseless toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he was wealthy, but he was all alone and he continued to toil. Why? Because nothing that he did could satisfy that longing to be with someone else. The longing to take us from a we to an us that we have found our people. Now, I think there's going to be some profound takeaways from this message, but really the main points of this message are quite simple. The first point is this. (laughs) You need others. You need other people. You need others. And for some of us, that's like, yes, thank you. Someone said it. Someone has finally said this tangible need that I feel. My need for others is palpable. But there are some of us that we don't have that tangible need. We're like, I'm fine by myself. It's actually an aspirational value in the West to be self-sufficient. I don't really have any other needs. And so I kind of even want to speak into that dynamic. And the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, spoke to the church he led in Corinth. And this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 18, 20, 21. He said, God arranged the members in the body. He's, He's talking about Um, the community, the church. So that's us and our faith faith family ramp church. And Paul uses the metaphor of a body that we're so unified, we so need each other that we may be individual parts of the body, but we're really one body. Each one of them is he chose. God arranged us, ramp church. There are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And maybe that's a temptation for you. Again, some of you are, your your need for others is tangible. And I'll I'll speak to you in a bit. But there are some of us in our community that like, no, I I really don't feel a need for others. I'm okay. And I want to tell you, 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 it's not the place of the people of God who are connected to others to really be able to say that, I have no need of you. You were made with that need. Nor again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. And I believe the reason sometimes why we feel that we have no need, why we're not in tune with that, is because we actually fill that need with other things. And that that gets to the first hindrance that I wanna talk to you about, about getting in tune with that need, and that is this. This is the first hindrance, imitations. I actually believe 
that if we could recognize some things that we've put into our life in the place of the need for others, we would realize that we have imitations of community. And I call them this, this is what I call them, I call them counterfeits of community. That sometimes there are things that we can have in our lives, in the spot, in our heart, and in our lives, uh, the same spot that God saw when he looked at Adam and said it's not good for you to be alone, that make it feel like the need is perhaps being satisfied and all it does is it hides the fact that we have a genuine need. Here's some counterfeits of, of community. First of all, I just want to say anything genuine, anything of true value has a counterfeit. If, it's, if it doesn't have a lot of value, then, then there's not going to be counterfeits made. The, the reason why currency, money, that, that there's a struggle to keep it from being counterfeited, the reason why um, our latest paper money in Britain is plastic and um, there's transparent bits and all these holograms and all these different printing techniques is because it's of great value and anything of great value, there's going to be a danger of finding counterfeits. And counterfeits of community are, are pretty simple things and they're not bad in and of themselves when they don't replace genuine community. And the first one is contact. Sometimes we're just in contact with so many people that it, it makes, it eases the need for community, but it doesn't truly meet the need of community. Oh, the same thing with connection. Maybe you feel like you're connecting. Yeah, we, you know, I have a connection over coffee or before I have a work meeting, you know, I'm, I ask the person, we just catch up on life. How you doing? How's the wife and kids? You know, maybe there's a, a connection there. But that isn't the same thing as genuine community where there's relationship and I'm journeying with someone through life. And then maybe there's chemistry. I think this is a big one for us in um, what Eugene Peterson calls the age of sensation that we live in where we're, we're kind of addicted to this um, feeling, of this sensational feeling when we interact with anything in the world that, that we really exalt chemistry. And I, I just want to tell you, sometimes you can have chemistry with someone, but you don't have actual community. Um, and I think the, the flip side is also true. You can actually have genuine community with someone and not have chemistry. Now, I think dreamland is when both are there. But I remember um, when God called me to be a part of the, the ramp, um, our main location, which is in Alabama. I had always lived kind of in around Nashville, um, around the entertainment community. I was a musician, so all my friends were musicians, and we had like serious chemistry. I, I really didn't, I wasn't friends with people that I didn't feel a chemistry with. And I remember when God called me <clears throat> to be a part of the ramp, I was around a lot of people that I never would have been friends with before, and I really didn't have chemistry with. And that took me a little while to get over because I'm like, I can't really relate to these people on a lot of natural, practical things. But God kind of kind of led me, kind of discipled me in a sense and tried to, to renew my thinking with this verse. And it's when Paul encourages us to know no person after the flesh. And what calls call, Paul is calling his church to a spiritual unity. And what I discovered when I was following God in, in community is that I found a sense of community, of journeying with each other that so transcended the experience that I'd experienced in chemistry, that's like chemistry just, it just wasn't as important. It just wasn't as important. And maybe you, maybe there's that person at work who it's like, you like the same style, you, you like the same coffee, you like the same restaurants, you like the same music. Maybe that's chemistry. You just meet each other and, and it's like C.S. Lewis says that you know you found a friend when, when the feeling is, oh, 
you too, you too, we, we, we both feel the same sense of chemistry, but it's beyond chemistry and there's this journey in life. We're going to get on to that more in a bit. But let's not be satisfied with counterfeits of community. And this is one of the, the, the benefits, Ramp Church, um, that I feel like we can, we can pull from lockdown. This is something that we can realize uh, there's an even here, even now, even us vision in the midst of this if only narrative. And that is God has pulled us out of, in many ways, a church experience that centers around a Sunday gathering. And maybe you have never, maybe your sense or your need of community has never been this loud inside your heart. And it's because perhaps you're not counterfeiting the need with contact connection and chemistry 30 minutes after a Sunday morning gathering where you really can't have community anyway. You're experiencing it now on a week to week basis and doing life with each other is so different than just easing the need through a counterfeit. Let's be a church who actually meets the need through genuine community. So the first, I think the first hindrance to actually uh, getting in tune with our need is we, is we try to ease that need with imitations. But the second is really a cultural reality, and this is what it is. It's individualism. We live in, many sociologists say, the most radically individualistic culture in the history of the world. Um, and we can't, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that that current of society doesn't affect the way we even understand our own needs. It certainly affects the way we see the world around us, but it can also get us out of tune with the way we were wired because, again, we reach for some of those imitations to fill a need that's really there that only others can meet in our lives. And I love the way David Brooks explains this. Um, he explains this in his book, the, the Second Mountain. He says this, we live in a culture of hyper individualism. He's talking about the West. There's always a tension between self and society, between the individual and the group. Over the past 60 years, we've swung too far towards the self. And it doesn't mean, Brooks is not saying that the self is bad. He's saying that we live in this tension. And we can't, it's not resolving the tension by swinging it all the way to the self. The only way out of this imbalance is to rebalance. And this is part of what God's doing here at Ramp Church. This is part of the even here, even now, even us vision is God's rebalancing. And here's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to build a culture that steers people towards relation. It steers people towards community. It steers people towards commitment. Why? Because the things we most deeply yearn for, we also undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. You know, I mean, probably the sticking point for any individualistic kind of bent or current in our society is this word right here. This is a sticky word, isn't it? Commitment. We, we don't like that word. That's kind of a bad word in, in, in the West, isn't it? Or loyalty or anything that makes me give of myself for the benefit of someone else. I mean, why would I want to commit to a season of Ramp Church home groups? What if I change my mind the second weekend? Or what if, you know, what if I find something better to do? You know, what if hashtag FOMO like kicks in and like I want to do something else? And I just want to tell you, that's probably going to happen at some point. But commitment keeps you where you need to be in the moments you don't really want to be there. Let me say that again. Commitment keeps you where you need to be in the moments you don't really want to be there. And don't let that cultural 
current of individualism cause you to miss the need that God's wanting to meet in your life through genuine community. And so maybe, hey, maybe it's not imitations that you're trying to fill. Maybe it isn't individualism. Maybe you're missing your need for community based on this, idealism. Idealism. And this is, I think, especially apparent for those of you perhaps that have walked in, you've been in church for, for years and years and years. We get in this idea where um, sometimes we're just not satisfied with any kind of community the church offers. Maybe it's maybe the people just get on my nerves. Maybe they're just not quite Christian enough or the style or the content of the group is not quite what I'm after. I want more curriculum-based or I want more interest-based or, or, or I just want to hang out. We get kind of nitpicky sometimes about exactly what we're looking for. And idealism is a cultural narrative sometimes that we can buy into and sometimes our religious bent actually increases that drive in us. And then we just use Christian-y type language to describe what's ultimately uh, a secular idealism where we feel we can't commit to a community because it's not quite what I want. It's not quite what I'm looking for. And I think all of us have experienced this on some level and there's no shame in realizing this is you. The reason I'm being so direct and explicit about this is because I think this is kind of the only way to tackle this in our own lives. But this isn't meant to be shaming. It's meant to be uh, liberating as we start to realize, oh, maybe these are some enemies on why I'm kind of detached from my genuine need, idealism. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, and it's a very short, short read. I would, I'd recommend you read it, but he says this better than I ever could say it. And this is what he says, the sooner the, this shock of disillusionment, and what disillusionment is he talking about? He's talking about um, when we realize that genuine community can be challenging at times, when genuine community is not being around perfect people, um, but it's journeying with other imperfect people, other people who have, who have edges and rough bits just like I do. And Bonhoeffer's saying the sooner that, that, that shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better. He's saying the sooner you can realize that, man, this isn't the perfect people, the perfect community to be committed to, that's better for everybody. It's better for you, it's better for us. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community, Bonhoeffer says, and must be banished. In all these dreams that we have about, oh man, I wish community was like this. Those, those things that we're trying to inject into our community relationships and into our community experiences, they must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He, and this, this comes down to the crux of the matter, he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. He becomes a destroyer of the Christian community. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. He's saying even if your intentions, even if your heart is good, that you want the right thing, if all you're doing is comparing the community you have to the ideal community in your mind, you will, you will only destroy the real one that's in your hands. That's a powerful revelation, isn't it? We can actually apply that to other relationships in our life, marriage or parenting, work colleagues. If you're constantly comparing someone to an ideal, they will always, they will always destroy your expectations. 
they will always fall below what you're wanting them to be. And if you take that towards me as a church leader, as a pastor, there's no way that I can meet this ideal picture. And that's a powerful principle for us to take into this next season of Ramp Communities is to, is to go, wow, I want to embrace the people that are in my life instead of constantly comparing them to the people I wish were in my life. I promise you will go further faster by saying yes to the person in front of you than by saying yes to the imaginary person that you wished was in front of you. And that takes a posture of, of humility and service. And it's ultimately, it's ultimately a heart of pride that refuses to embrace the reality that's in your hands. And you're, you're trying to force that reality into some ideal. But with humble hands, with a, with a servant's heart, I believe we can walk into what God has for us. Bonhoeffer continues. He says, um, go back to that previous slide. This is, this is what Bonhoeffer, as he's saying, it, you're going to destroy it. But he says, the man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God by others and by himself. In other words, when you bring this ideal into community, your demands start to come to the surface. It's like nothing that Ram Church offers really meets what you're wanting. So those demands, you start making demands on God, demands on others. But I'll tell you, you can tell somebody who has a humble heart, just like, I just want community. I don't care where it comes from. Just give it to me some, somehow. Um, this person enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws and judges the brethren and God himself. Accordingly, Ramp, let's go into this season with humble hearts, flexible hearts, and go, God, I want to love the person in front of me. I don't want to love some imaginary version of them. And I want to be loved in return. Because, let's be honest, we all want to be loved for the real us, not for some imaginary us that someone thinks or wishes we were. So maybe it's imitations you're filling that spot with. Maybe it's individualism. You know, but maybe it's maybe it's this last one where we have this idealism, or perhaps it's intimidation. Perhaps we're not willing to recognize we have a need because we're scared. We're scared of community. We're scared of getting close to others. We're scared of the real me being seen. I don't want to be known sometimes. Let's just be honest. Let's just be real. There's parts of me that's like, oh man, I don't like that part of me. Surely someone else won't like that part. But we're missing the whole, the whole crux of the matter. We're missing the drive and the purpose behind community in the first place. And Solomon gets to it in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And he says this, it's better to have a partner. It's better to have a partner. Partner in what? In life. It's better to walk with someone in life than to go it alone. Share the work. So share the burden of living. That's what, that's what he's saying. That's what Solomon's saying here. Share the work. What work? Yeah, of course work, like your, your profession, your job. But he, he's, he's talking in a bigger sense here. Share the work of life. Partner with others in doing life. Share the wealth. So share the, share the burden of humanity. Share the burden of life, but also share the benefits, the joy. I promise they are richer because you're sharing them. We, we love food at my house. Um, actually, for us, like a holiday could be just great eating. Like, <laughs> like for us, we go somewhere else. We love the sights. I love the history especially. I love museums. Stacy, not so much into that part. But what we both love, this is what we come together uh, on in our, any, any vacation holiday time, is eating. We want great 
food. And Stacy is the type, I'm sure you know uh, uh, this type, maybe you're this type, where if she eats something good, she's not satisfied until you try it. So I could be like really enjoying my meal and Stacy's like, oh, try this, try this. And I'm like, no, I'm like, like for real, like I'm, I'm satisfied. Like I just want to eat my meal. I don't want to try your meal. I don't want to ruin the flavor of my meal. I just want the flavor of the thing I ordered. But nine times out of 10, Stacy has ordered something better, which is I think maybe the other reason why she wants to share her meal is just to show I ordered something better. She's just got a knack for knowing what on the menu is gonna be the best thing. Um, that's sharing the wealth. Why? She gets a joy out of sharing the joy that she's getting with others. That's what Solomon's saying. Share the work, share the burden of, of life, but also share the joy of life. And if one falls down, if you fall down under the burden of life, others help, others help. But if there's no one to help, oof, that's tough. That's a tough place to be. So let's not be in that place where we're intimidated. Real life happens. It, and it happens either together or it happens alone. That's what, that's what Solomon's getting at here. Real life's gonna happen, whether it's together or whether it's alone. Let's be people that shares and partners in life together. And as a spirit-filled, spirit-centered community, the beautiful thing is when we do see parts of our lives that maybe aren't the most beautiful, we, we have the Holy Spirit. We have Him working through others. We have His words and His gifts operating through others. We have the Word that can come and heal um, our hearts, that can hum, come and make us whole and beautiful again. So we have an incredible opportunity. So I, I'm not sure which one of those, if it's individualism or maybe it's idealism, maybe it's imitations that we've done, uh, that we've replaced true community with. Maybe it's just plain old intimidation. We're, we're nervous. Whatever you've been covering that need up with, I just want to encourage you today with that first point that we talked about of you need others. And God made you that way. He, 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 he put that receptacle inside of you, so to speak, of a, you're hardwired to need. And others are hardwired to need you. And that's, that's the second point, actually, is this. Others need you. You don't just need others. Others need you. You need and you are needed. You need and you are needed. And the work of God in your life is powerful, yes, because it heals you, but also because you, as you start to experience God and what He has for your life, it allows you to bring that healing to others. And that's exactly what Paul gets at right here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul says, blessed be the God. I love what he calls God right here. Blessed be the God of all comfort. And he's not talking comfort in uh, like kicking, kicking your feet up and eating bonbons and Netflixing. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying the comforted in our affliction. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. So it's that deep inner comfort. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. The reason you need to be able to receive from others is because that's the only way you can give to others. The Bible is even clear about where our ability to love other people comes from. It says this, we're able to love because Christ first loved us. That when we receive the love of God, that empowers us to then give the love of God. And Ramp Church, let's get in this cycle where number one, we realize we need, and number two, we realize others need us. So I want to move on now to uh, us discussing what is genuine community. Okay, so I, I realize I have a need. I realize 
others have needs that, that I'm called to meet, what are the signs, what are the features when we're walking, when we're living in genuine community? And it's pretty simple. There are two things. The first thing is this. You can't have genuine community without genuine vulnerability. There's a, there's a story in the New Testament to me that, oh, it so captures this. And in Jesus' final days, before he, before he went to the cross, um, he, was, he was hanging out with his closest friends, with his community. This is one of the biggest, to me, one of the biggest uh, reasons why we should even consider communities because Jesus himself, who had unbroken communion with God, chose to live in community. Jesus lived in a community. But in his final days, he entered into um, a, a meal. He was coming into the room with his disciples. And he suggested something that to the disciples was, was you can see by their reaction, it was even maybe borderline offensive to them. He, he said, I want to wash your feet. Now, in those days, it was a custom uh, to, to wash travelers' feet because when you traveled in those days, your feet got dirty. And so that was a sign of honor and a sign of respect. But the disciples' response was wild. This is what Peter, this is how Peter responds in John 13, verse 8. Peter says, no. This is what he tells Jesus. No, you shall never wash my feet. And when you, when you, when you look a bit into this, what layers are happening right there in Peter's heart and mind that he's refusing for Jesus to honor him in that way? I think part of it is this first feature of community. Peter didn't want Jesus to be touching his feet. I mean, I don't know about you. Some people are feet people, like you can't handle to see feet or for someone to Maybe Peter was one of these, but I think deeper than that, he did not want to show that part of his life to Jesus. And I think that's even why the gospel writers put this story in is because Jesus was wanting to go someplace in their relationship. Uh, a place of vulnerability with them that, that he can see where Peter had walked. He could see the injuries of, of, of his feet and Jesus was going to wash that. That Peter refused and Jesus' response was not like, he's like, okay, dude, I get it. You're not a feet person. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to go there with me. Look at Jesus' response, the second half of this verse. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This is what Jesus is saying. Unless vulnerability is a part of this relationship, we can't continue. It's been a good journey so far, Peter. We've spent three and a half years together. We've ministered together. We've seen amazing things. Um, we've lived in relationship. We've had connection. We've had contact. There's been chemistry here. Um, I've loved walking with you. But if you don't want to go here, we can't go any further. And all of us have times like that. We have crossroads like that. We have milestones like that in our relationships. And this is the beautiful thing about community. Maybe you're new to Ramp Church. You don't have to start at like full vulnerability. It's not like, let me tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets and life history. That's, that's not what I mean. What is, this was three and a half years into Jesus and Peter's relationship. But there does need to be a progression and vulnerability never gets easier. And it's that question I said at the very beginning. How do you know you're being vulnerable? Um, it is that I am sharing something that could ultimately be used against me. And people could criticize me about my feet. They could criticize me about what I'm being vulnerable about. You get the metaphor there. But that is what genuine vulnerability in any genuine community is going to have genuine vulnerability. And if we're not vulnerable at some point in our relationship, and it's going to be just little bits at a time, then there will come a time where we can't go any 
further. That's the first feature of genuine community. The second feature of genuine community is this accountability. And accountability is able to say this, people are telling me things I don't want to hear. People are telling me. So what we talked about the imitations of community, the counterfeits, uh, connection and chemistry and um, contact. But what does genuine community look like? Well, genuine community is always going to have vulnerability. It doesn't mean full vulnerability from the get-go, but there's always going to be bits of, ooh, I'm sharing some things that could be used against me, but it's also going to have accountability. I'm going to be known and the, I'm going to be seen when I'm, when I'm falling short. And Jesus then takes this lesson of wanting to be vulnerable with his community and he takes it a step further as we read on in John 13. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Then he said this, do you understand what I've done to you guys? He asked them, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right, that's who I am. For that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. What, what was now brought into the equation? Now he's keeping them accountable to keep the, keep the, the, uh, the cycle of vulnerability open. But he's also just keeping them accountable to what he's called them to do. And genuine community is going to have vulnerability. It's going to have places where I'm, I'm kind of opening up parts of my life. But it's also going to have this accountability where I'm going to be kept on the path that I know I need to be on. Look at this next verse in John 16. This is so good. Um, in John 16, it says this, All that I have told you, this is Jesus speaking, All this I've told you so that you will not go astray. That's what, account, that's what accountability is. I, I'm, I'm helping you not go to a side path. Look, look at this next, this next slide. Accountability. In accountability, we ask one another the hard questions. That's really what accountability is about. We ask one another the hard questions. So here's, here's, some, here's examples of hard questions. Have you been in a compromising situation this week? Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? I mean, we need to ask, be asking each other the hard questions. Have you viewed any sexually explicit material? This is hard stuff. Have you spent quality time in Bible study and prayer? Have you given priority time to your family? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? Have you just lied to me about any of those answers? That's accountability. And let's be honest, it doesn't matter how old you are, how good you are at life, how good you are at work, all of us need that. I'm going back to the beginning. Why? Because we were designed to need each other, which means we were designed to need vulnerability. We were designed to need accountability. Self-sufficiency is a farce. It's, it's imaginary, but I can tell you the fulfillment that we find in genuine community, when we find that vulnerability, it always, we always gain more than it costs. I'm telling you, relationships aren't always easy, but the only thing harder than genuine community is not having it at all. It's trying to do life without it. Look at this next verse. Solomon keeps going. Ecclesiastes 4, a person standing alone, this is, this is the essence of accountability, can be attacked and defeated. Accountability is about protecting each other. But two can stand back to back and conquer. This is, this is so powerful. Three or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily 
broken. That is accountability. Accountability is about protection. It's not about calling each other out. It's about protection. It's about protecting one another. And this is why Ramp communities are so important. Hey, maybe you love the messages, the teachings here at Ramp Church, but you're plugged into a community somewhere else. Keep keep receiving from these teachings. I hope they're they're powerful for you. But ultimately, if that's your only involvement in Ramp Church, you you need to be plugged into your local church because you need to find accountability. You need to find somebody who's able to see Oh, I can see they're listening to a lot of teachings, but are they putting them into practice? Uh, I can see they need to be protecting you. And James says, we've got to be protected that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers or we're going to walk in deception. So that's what it means to be in a ramp community. That's what it means to be in community, period, is there's going to be accountability in our lives that are helping, helping keep us in where we know that God's best is, where we know that we flourish, where we know that we find satisfaction and fulfillment in life, vulnerability, accountability. And just to wrap all of this up, I just want to give this promise to you. Every person watching in this, in this if only moment, you can find community. You can find community, even here, even now, even us. Let me pray over us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your, your desire for us to walk in community. Thank you for the invitation you're giving me today to walk in community. Father, I repent for all the times I've chosen to be self-sufficient. I've chosen to reject other people in my life and I want to open my life, open my heart in a fresh way today to journey in life with other people. I pray, Father, that anything that, that I've accepted that's an imitation of genuine community. I just lay that down and I want to receive the journey of community that you have for me today. I pray, Father, that I can see my need for others, but I also ask that I can see others' need for me. And I pray that in this moment that Ramp Church would be all we need to be for the seasons ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ramp Church, just want to encourage you, um, it just takes just a minute just to, to sign up for this next season of Ramp Communities. And let's put practical steps. That's all these are. These aren't the, the, the totality of community. Actually, this is, all this is is facilitating community. That, to, to come to a group, that's really where the, where the work starts. That's only the beginning. And that's, that's just a space where genuine community can happen. But I do want to encourage you to take that first step to just show up. Go find a group. We have 10 groups this season. Um, They're all meeting online. It's just a brilliant opportunity. And you have several weeks to try different groups out. So if you're new to our community and you don't yet know which group leaders you fit with, that's okay. Just start somewhere. Just pick one. And then if that's the one, awesome. If it's not, try a couple more out. That's, That's built into the way we do community here at Ramp Church. But go to ramp.church slash mcr and you'll find all you need to know to dive into community here at Ramp Church. And I'm just imagining your life and my life when we're planted, when we find a place of belonging and everything else, every bit of our fruitfulness, just like in a natural garden, flows from being planted in the place God's put us. Ramp Church, let's do this journey together. Talk soon.